0: This anointed teaching by Apostle Theo Vollmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Good morning, South Africa. Welcome to Christian Family Church Johannesburg. Give the Lord a great big praise this Easter Friday morning. Go ahead. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's so wonderful to be back with you. Today's message is titled, The Last Seven Days of Jesus' Journey to the Cross. The Last Seven Days of Jesus' Journey to the Cross. And right behind me on the screen is the Lord on the Cross, right? There it is. That's very well done. Thanks to Mel Gibson and his movie, The Passion of the Christ. All right, now, let's go to Psalm 22, please. Psalm 22 and verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This statement was made by David, David the king. Approximately a thousand years before Jesus was crucified, This is the very statement that Jesus used on the cross himself. David deals with what Jesus was going to experience during his crucifixion. Criminals were crucified for a thousand-year period. This began 700 B.C. and finished 300 A.D. However, when David wrote this psalm, there had not been any crucifixions for him to study. And yet he described so accurately the experience that would only begin 300 years after David. Let's read the psalm bearing in mind that David is writing as Jesus would write it about his own experience. Psalm 22 verse 1 again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. At this point, the sin of the gu- and the guilt of the whole world was on Jesus. The sin and the guilt of all the human race, past, present, future, was now on Jesus. Verse 7 says, All those that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let Him rescue Him. Let Him deliver Him, since He delights in Him. The people walking around the cross during His crucifixion actually said these words in Matthew 27, verse 39, all the way to verse 43. They said these very words while walking around the cross. And this is written hundreds of years before that happened. Verse 9, But you are here who took me out of the womb. You made me trust when I was on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in, like roaring lions attacking their prey. They come at me with open mouths. This could be referring to the religious leaders of the day, how badly they attacked and persecuted Jesus. Verse 14 says, My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. Remember, after the spear went into Jesus' side while he was on the cross, water ran out. That is exactly what happens during crucifixion. The bones of the individual come out of joint. All right, verse 14, the B part. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Remember, this was 300 years before crucifixion's ever took place. Verse 17, I can count every bone in my body. My enemies stare at me and gloat. That means that none of his bones will be broken. That's what that means. And that all his blood will drain from his body. Also in Psalm 34 verse 20, David prophesied that not one of his bones shall be broken. In John 19, verse 33, we learned that they did not break the legs of Jesus. So let's go back to Psalm 22 now and verse 18. They divided my clothes among themselves and threw dice from our garments. That's exactly what happened. This was written hundreds of years before it happened. The crucifixion is a clear demonstration of how much God loves us. Let's take a journey back in time. Let's have a look, please, at the picture of the city of Jerusalem, picture number two, as it was back in the day when Jesus walked the earth. So here, we see this beautiful picture. On your right-hand side, you can see at the bottom, you can see Bethany, all right? you can see the slope of the Mount of Olives going down towards the city wall. And that's where Gethsemane was. Gethsemane Gethsemane was on the Mount of Olives. You can see the temple of, of Herod there and the old city of Jerusalem. Now at the top there, you can see Golgotha at the very top on the north side where the three little crosses are. One for each thief and one for Jesus in the center. And uh, so we'll be talking about that now. Put that picture in your mind. Because we're going to be talking about that picture. And I'm going to use a map now to uh, walk you through the journey that Jesus went through. All right? There's the map. Now, I'll take each number on that map and talk that. Talk to you about that. Number one, Jesus arrives in Bethany and stays with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary in their house on Friday, one week before the crucifixion, as seen or read in John chapter 12. So here you can see now, on this map, you can see Bethany down here where number one is, right? That's where the little town of Bethany was. It was like a half a day's walking distance, maybe a few hours walking distance from uh, Jerusalem. And That's Lazarus' house, the man that Jesus raised from the dead. All right, so that happened seven days. He arrived there seven days before the crucifixion. Number two, on Sunday, five days before the crucifixion, Jesus rides down the Mount of Olives on a donkey and uh, triumphantly enters the city of Jerusalem with thousands of people lining the streets waving palm branches as you read in John 12 and also seen in Matthew 21. So Jesus went down that road and from here down the Mount of Olives through Gethsemane, through the Kidron Valley, and up into the temple area on that donkey. Thousands of people waving with palm branches and taking off their, their jackets and throwing them on the streets for the donkey to go over, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, as he went. All right, then number three, now on Thursday the day before Jesus was crucified, Jesus came to Jerusalem to eat the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room on Mount Zion. Now that happened right over here, all right? This is where the upper room is on Mount Zion, right over there. Number three, the green dot. So Jesus came from Bethany all the way down And he came in here and to the Passover. Can you see the route he took? Okay. To eat the Passover in the upper room on Mount Zion, which is in the city of Jerusalem. They ate the Passover together somewhere between 6.30 p.m. and uh, 9 p.m. that night. And... uh, The Passover actually begins at sunset, at sunset. So we know that Passover was on the Friday, but it began Thursday night after the sun went down. So he ate the Passover meal on Thursday night. So I ate the Passover meal on Passover, all right, between 6.30 p.m. and 9 p.m. Then number four, after eating Passover, At approximately 9 p.m., Jesus and His disciples left the upper room and went to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives to pray. So you'll see number four here, the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus walked from the upper room on Mount Zion in Jerusalem all the way up there down across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And that's where he prayed. That's number four. This is on the east side of Jerusalem. On the other side of the Kidron Valley, it would take them approximately two hours to walk from the upper room on Mount Zion to the Garden of Gethsemane. They began to pray, and his disciples fall asleep. This is now a few hours before Jesus is crucified. Jesus must have prayed alone For from approximately 11 p.m. that night on Thursday until 3 a.m. in the morning. Probably four hours He was praying. Then we're going to go to location number five. Judas Iscariot and the soldiers arrest Jesus and take Him to Annas' house the former high priest. You can see that in John chapter 18. That happens right here. This is where Annas has his house, right here. Okay, point number five, the purple dot. So from the garden of Gethsemane, they take him as a prisoner to the house of Annas, the former high priest. At four o'clock in the morning, only half the members of the Sanhedrin were present when they tried Jesus. Because of this, the trial was illegal. The Sanhedrin consists of Pharisees and Sadducees our, all the religious leaders, and they make up this council, and they tried Jesus to see if he was worthy of death because that's what they wanted to do is kill him, murder him. And since they did not have a full representation of people present, the trial was illegal. They said he was guilty of blasphemy because he acknowledged that he was the Son of God. Then number six, they take him to Caiaphas' house, the current high priest. So from Annas' house, over here, the purple dot, number five, They take him to Caiaphas' house, which is number six, the blue dot. Okay. They take him to Caiaphas' house, who was the current high priest. You can see that in John chapter 18. So number seven, since the Jews had no authority to crucify a man, they took him to Pilate and asked him to crucify Jesus at about 6 a.m. on Friday morning the 3rd of April in the year 33, according to John chapter 18. So we can see that journey of Jesus all the way up from Caiaphas' house, all the way up to Pilate's fortress, point number seven, the purple dot. That's where he was tried by Jesus. Then... After thoroughly examining Jesus, Pilate could find no fault in him, according to Luke 23. He wanted to release Jesus. So not seeing a way out of this, Pilate decided to send Jesus to King Herod, who was the Jewish king who was in the pocket of Rome. He was a puppet for the Romans. You'll see that in Luke 23. So Herod is dot number eight. So Pilate sends him all the way back down here to number 8. Okay? That's where Herod's house was. And uh, then King Herod sent him back to Pilate and found no fault in him. So he goes all the way back up to dot number 9 where Pilate's fortress was. Because the religious leaders were losing popularity, they said to Pilate, the people saying, Jesus is the new king. If you don't crucify him, you will be guilty of rebelling against Rome. Because they say there's only one king, obviously that is the Emperor Tiberius. So if Pilate <laughs> allows Jesus to live, then he's actually going against his emperor. So Pilate wanted to say in the good books of Tiberius, the emperor of Rome, therefore he submitted to the pressure and had Jesus crucified. He submitted to the pressure and had Jesus crucified, even though he knew he was innocent. All right, number 10. Pilate handed Jesus over to be whipped, flogged, and scourged. He was tied to a stone pillar. He would be standing on his toes so that if he fell unconscious, they could still carry on whipping him. Two soldiers would work together to whip one man, each having a turn from different angles or different sides. The whips they used had short handles with a number of different leather thongs coming off each whip. At the end of each leather thong, they would have tied either a blob of lead or a sheep hoof. When these leather thongs hit the person's back, they would wrap around, dig in deep into the skin. And when the soldier ripped the whip back, skin and flesh would fly off the person. Those soldiers were professional. They did this all day long. They could take a fly off of a wall 100 times out of 100. They received 39 lashes. However, there might have been several thongs on each whip means the person might have received up to 273 Pieces of leather strike his body during those 39 lashes. Without receiving immediate attention, a person receiving 39 lashes would die within a few hours. It was remarkable, therefore, that Jesus could even walk, never mind carry a cross. They mocked Jesus by putting a purple robe on him. They were saying, You want to be the king. Now here is your kingdom, and put this robe on him. They said, a king needs a crown. So they found some thorns and turned into a crown and put on his head. These thorns grow in Israel. I have personally seen them with my own eyes. The name of the thorns are Zizifus. The thorns are approximately 2.5 centimeters long, or you might say one inch. They grow on a long vine, and they are sharper than a razor and stronger than steel. They penetrate deep into the skull bone without any difficulty at all. We have all had a small thorn or a splinter in our finger, and we know how much Difficulty that is, or how much pain that causes. These thorns were poisonous. And in a few moments, his head would swell up to almost twice its size. Now imagine what would happen when the vine was wrapped around his head and it began to swell up even bigger than it was. With his hands tied behind his back, they blindfolded him and punched him full on in the face. Those big soldiers punched him with all their strength right in the face, and he couldn't see it coming. Can you imagine what his face looked like after that? Then they took the blindfold off, pulled his beard off of his face with their hands. They must have ripped skin and flesh off of his face, and then they spat on his face. Let's picture this scene. Can we imagine what he looked like? There stands a person, something resembling a man, skin and flesh off of his back, a giant head with thorns wrapped around it, his eyes swollen and closed. His face smashed to a pulp, skin and flesh missing from his face, where the beard was removed. Blood everywhere. And yet non, not one word of complaint. Not one word of complaint. Like a lamb is dumb before its shearers. So he was led to the slaughter. He knew this was the punishment that you should have received. He was taking your punishment for you and for me. The cross was not a smooth, plain piece of wood. No, it was rough, unfinished, splintered wood. Remember the skin and the flesh had already been removed from his back, and now the splintered cross was on that bleeding back. And according to John 19, verse 17, the Bible says, carrying the cross by himself. Jesus went to the place called Skull Hill. Skull Hill. In Hebrew, it's Golgotha. In Hebrew, it's Golgotha. And then Mark 15, 21 says, A man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the country. Just then, and and they forced him to carry the cross. So Jesus carried that cross some of the way, And then it kept falling in the ground, obviously. And so they gave the cross to someone else to carry. Now remember we read in the Psalms where Jesus said, I can see my bones. He could probably see his ribs on both sides of his body because the flesh had been removed. They made him walk in that condition. A dead man walking. Obviously, he could not see where he was going, neither did he have any strength to walk. All right, from Pilate's judgment hall, they went out to the Damascus gate. So now, Pilate's judgment hall is right up here, number nine, number 10. So from there, they went to the Damascus gate, which is up here on the left, on the north side of the city. Number 11, the Damascus Gate. They took him out of the Damascus Gate on the road that leads to Damascus because it was on the road that leads to Damascus where the thieves and criminals were crucified. And Jesus was crucified along with the other thieves and criminals. As we know, one was crucified on either side of him. All right. So, from Pilate's Judgment Hall, they took him to Damascus Gate, and that's where they left the city. So number 12, they went to Golgotha on Mount Moriah, on the road that leads to Damascus, called the Place of the Skull, where Jesus was crucified, according to John chapter 19. So, as we go to our map again, we take this road going north, going straight up, and you'll see three little crosses up there. And the circle with 12 in it, the yellow one, it's not very clear. That's where they crucified Jesus on the road that leads to Damascus. Now Golgotha, the place where he's crucified, was approximately one kilometer in distance from the gate. Mount Moriah is approximately two to three kilometers long. You might say a mile and a half long, running north to south. Okay, let's have a look at that. So the whole city of Jerusalem is actually built on Mount Moriah, okay, which runs from the south to the north. It's only three kilometers long, that whole mountain. And this is very interesting, Mount Moriah, a very holy, famous place in the Bible. King Herod cut a huge slice of Mount Moriah away from the north side, from the north side, from the top of Mount Moriah, outside the city walls. He excavated a huge amount of that limestone rock from the mountain that made the road going out of the city flat, flat, level all the way. On the one side was a large cliff, a cliff, a face left after the excavation. And on that face was left the skull and bones of a man. That wasn't designed that way, it just, Happened to be there when they finished excavation. So he transported that limestone from the north side of Mount Moriah and he built his temple here, number 13, with that limestone. Okay? So as I said, At the base of that cliff, where the excavation had taken place, where the road went by, that's where everybody was crucified, and that's where Jesus was crucified. All right, so let's go please to our picture of Jesus on the cross again. Now, when they arrived at Golgotha, they would lay the person being crucified on the cross. They would hold him down. They would knock a large rusty spike through the wrist of the person on the cross. They would knock a large rusty spike through his wrist into the wood, not through the hand. If they did that, the palm would split open And the person would fall off of the cross. The spike went through the wrist with one good hit. The spike through the wrist would not shatter the bones, but dislocate them. One good hit would drive the spike through the wrist. The next good hit would drive the spike into the wooden cross. Then they'd move the other arm. Then they would take the leg of the person being crucified, bend his knee so that his foot was flush with the wood of the cross. They'd put a spike on his foot, one good hit, and drive it right through the foot, which stopped against the wooden beam of the cross. Then they'd lift up his foot, slide the other foot underneath that foot, and hit one more hard time, driving the spike through the second foot against the cross. And then... They continued beating the spark until it went right into the wooden cross. Now, imagine this. Jesus is hanging, lying down on that cross. Hands sparked to the beams and his feet sparked to the beam. They lift that cross up and drop it in the hole. Of course, his body went through all kinds of pain when that happened. And uh, you can imagine now that every demon in hell, including Satan, is watching, holding their breath, as it were, waiting to hear what Jesus is going to say. And every angel in heaven is listening. It seems like all of heaven and earth is holding their breath, waiting to hear what Jesus says. Then finally, these words come out of his mouth. Jesus says, my father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. My father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. How can we begin to understand the love that God has for us? His mercy towards us. And now he has forgiven us for our sins. And now he wants to spend eternity with us. How desperately He loves us that He would do all that to spend eternity with us. The very ones that crucified Him, He forgave them. Forgive them. I don't know what they're doing. He forgave all of us at that moment. And then He said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And His spirit left His body. God gave us His very best. God gave us his very best. God gave us himself. John 19, 41. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus in that tomb. So we've been there to the garden. There's a well there. The only well for miles around. Right there, about 100 meters from the place called the skull, where Jesus was crucified. There was that well. And the rich man, Joseph of Arathia, owned that well and that garden. And he carved out of the solid rock of the side of the mountain, the same mountain, Mount Moriah, he carved in his garden a tomb for himself, a hole in the mountain. It wasn't a bunch of bricks built, no. It was one piece of rock. And he cut out of that same rock a giant wheel about this high, about that thick, To roll over the hole. So they placed Jesus' body in that tomb. Now think about this. According to the scripture here, in John 19, 41 and 42, where Jesus was crucified, there was a well, there was a garden and a tomb all together. We have sat in that garden, giving a Bible study, looking at the tomb, and I'd point to them and say, There it is on the wall. Can you see on that rock face? The skull of a man and the bones where Jesus was crucified. together, just as the Bible describes. That is the correct place where Jesus was crucified. Now on the third day praise the Lord He rose from the dead and because He lives forevermore we will live forevermore. Thank You, Jesus. Praise God. Now, my question to you today is Are you giving God your best? He gave us His very best, He gave us Himself. Are you giving God your best? Please close your eyes and bow your heads. Ask yourself that question Am I giving God my very best? And if you evaluate your own conduct and say, I could do more for my Lord Jesus. I could live better. I could serve Him better. Please make a quality decision. Now, a quality decision is a decision that you'll make and not turn back. A sacrificial decision that you'll make and not turn back from. Today, This Easter, 2022, you're going to serve Him with all your heart and give Him your very best. He deserves it, family of God. He deserves it, child of God. Let's do that. Amen. So while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, how many of you today want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our life? You want to be sure you're going to heaven. You want to know that you are forgiven for your sins. If that's you, and you want that assurance in your heart, when well, I count to three, if you'll kindly slip your hand up. Now, while the heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'll include you in my prayer, and God will give you that assurance right where you're sitting. Thank you. All right, praise God. I see those hands. Let's say this prayer together, everybody. Everybody, especially you that have raised your hands. Dear God in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die on that cross in my place. He was punished for my sins so I can be forgiven. Come into my heart, Jesus. Please forgive me for my sins. I accept you as my Lord and Saviour. Thank you now. I am bound for heaven. I am forgiven. Praise God I'm saved. All because... I believe in Jesus. Praise God. You may open your eyes. Give them all a great praise God. Accepting Jesus as Savior on this Easter Friday morning. All right, praise God. We're going to have Holy Communion. Let's hand out the emblems, please, everybody. Go ahead and do that, ushers. And while they're doing that, we're going to have some music from the worship team. All right, hands up, everybody. If you do not have any bread, put your hand up. Thank you. If you do not have any grape juice, put your hand up. Thank you. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the benefits of the blood of Christ? Now the blood of Christ purchased a covenant for us. Seal, seal the covenant. And in that covenant, everything that God owns is ours. And everything we have and own is God's. So whatever we need at this time, as you partake of this, you can actually tap into God's help and receive your need met. Because he says, when we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the benefits of the blood of Christ? Then he goes on and says, and when we eat, the loaf of bread, are we sharing in the benefits of the body of Christ? That means that you are tapping into the healing that the body of Christ purchased for us on the cross. So as we partake of communion right now, you can just whisper a little prayer and say, I receive, and go ahead and tell the Father what it is you are receiving because communion provides that for us as you partake. Amen. All right, let's off with the bread, take the bread, and let's eat some right now. Say this with me, Father, I thank you. Healing was purchased by the body of Jesus shed for me, and I receive my healing right now. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. All right. Now hold up the grape juice and say this, Father... I thank you for the covenant that forgave me for my sins. And I receive, and go ahead and say what it is you receive. And I thank you, Father, that I am cleansed by Jesus' blood, and I have a right to stand before you without guilt or condemnation, all because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. Praise God, praise God. Praise God. I do believe we have a lot to be grateful for and thankful for. Why don't we just lift our hands all over the building and the overflow rooms and just thank God and worship God. Show Him the appreciation we have for all that Jesus did on that cross for us and leading to the cross all that He went through to purchase a place for us, a home for us in heaven. We're so grateful, are we not? But let's just lift our hands. You talk to God right now. Tell Him how much you love Him, how much you appreciate Him. Go ahead. Thank you, Father. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father, for our salvation, our healing, Uh, an eternal home for us in heaven, to be with our Father, to be with our Lord and the Holy Spirit and the angels and our family that's gone on before us. We thank you for this great joy and privilege. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Remember, God loves you, we love you, and we'll see you next weekend with the, probably the final episode or part of my message titled, Getting to Know the Holy Spirit or Who Is the Holy Spirit. You can't miss it. And bring those who need prayer for healing. God bless you all. Pastor Bevan, I praying for you and we love you. Amen.